0: Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number one forty-nine. This week we talk with Scott Hunter about the latest .NET announcements from Build. We even cover XAML and some amazing Azure tooling. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Aspose, the market leader of .NET and Java APIs for file business formats. Natively work with DOCX, .XSLX, PPT, PDF, MSG, MPP, image formats, and many more.
1: This week, we have Scott Hunter, Director of Program Management for the .NET Platform. How's it going, Scott?
2: Going very good.
1: So this is uh, so we are recording before Build, but we're going to be talking about uh, some things that will likely get announced at Build, and I don't know what order we're releasing these episodes in, but uh, you know it is it is what it is. So <laughs> this is the way pre-recording works.
2: I, I hope it's not likely to be re- be be announced at Build because
0: at this point it's too late.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pass, pass the point and no return. Um, <laughs> Carl, what do we have for the comment of the week?
0: The comment of the week uh, gets a developer small business license for dot 4net which includes all of the .NET products in one package. And this week, we select somebody who didn't directly try to reach out to us to comment, mm-hmm. but they actually uh, – gave us a pull request for our website. So we have that out on GitHub, github.com slash whytechie slash msdevshow. And he actually fixed our mobile view. So if you Ooh. have a phone, uh, yeah, he made that look good. It was, it was kind of jacked up for, for a long time. And <laughs> we just kind of- We were way
1: too like, lazy to fix
0: it. Way too lazy. So in, you know, we don't have anything else to give you, but we'll make sure you get a license for this. So he made the header and the banner uh, look spot on. Yeah, actually how it should have been. Yeah. And if you want to get mentioned on the show, you can send us an email to feedback at msdevshow.com. Comment on Facebook or uh, Facebook, YouTube or Stitcher. We really like those five star iTunes reviews.
1: Yeah. So you're, you're missing the funniest part of this whole story, Carl. <laughs> so, so Carl reaches out to me and he's like, Hey, can you take a look at this pull request? And I said, Hey, I'm already on it. And he's like, you know, my, my dev environment on my machine for the, for the podcast is, is not quite set up correctly. And, uh, it was funny cause I didn't even really realize what, what he meant by that. And, uh, you know, so I I was taking I was taking the easy approach. So I took the pull request, I just hit merge and then I watched our build process, which takes I don't know like 5 minutes or something, and then I tested it in production. <laughs> I mean, why would I why would I test it any other way, Carl? And then uh and then I I you know, Carl's like, "Oh, I, you know, good you have all this stuff set up." He's like, "Nope, I just I just test in production." Um so, you know, I I do Is that I do what Microsoft I say. normally does it, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know. I guess it probably depends on the product. No, they 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 are much much better than i am we uh you know i don't know every everything other than us speaking is really overhead for the show so we uh we try to do everything as uh half-assed and easy as possible uh but it worked he uh he actually wrote uh good code so um it's now in production it's all good uh let's see what do we got for the news car we got how.net standard relates to .NET platforms and actually this will be good for for scott to comment on as well
0: Yeah, so we have uh, this uh, little GitHub gist that kind of explains in code how .NET Standard and .NET Core and .NET Full kind of all interact with each other Mm -hmm. in a way using interfaces and classes. And uh, if you look at this, it just makes sense. You you look at it and you see that in .NET Standard 1.0. There was primitives, reflection, task, collections, and link. And .NET Standard one is everything there and just adds more features. And mm. you see how they interact. So if you need to know, like, if, you know, at a high level, is this going to work? You can kind of just look at this. And it's actually pretty easy to reason about. And it makes you understand, like, okay, if I have – to create, you know, a .NET standard library that support multiple things, this this is a way to help kind of figure out, will it work?
1: Yeah, I love this because it shows like the inheritance model because, you know, we, we always think in code and this shows how versions essentially inherit from from other versions. So, Scott, I assume that you've seen this from David Fowler?
2: I have seen this, yes.
1: Yeah, yeah, this was this was great. Is I assume this thing is uh, is up to date. I don't know if he's if he's updated it since the initial release. It was
0: updated yesterday.
1: Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> so and, this yeah.
0: Yeah, and, and then kind of related to this too, there's another really awesome uh, website out there called APIsof.net. And okay. if you can do a search on there, it'll find any.NET libraries. So if you want to like look up cryptography or link or you know, bunch of other things, you can go there and it'll tell you on that specific one where it's all supported.
1: Okay. They got a- a- P- I- sof dot net. Yes. Okay. They have a, they have a bogus HTTP certificate.
0: Yeah. It's easier if you don't look at it in Chrome. Okay.
1: Okay. <laughs> I, I just, I, I proceeded at my own peril. Uh, this is pretty cool though. Oh, wow. Look at that. Okay. That's pretty cool. Good find Carl. Okay, so yeah, let's let's talk to Scott since we got him here. Um, we can talk directly to the to the expert here. So you know, Scott, I know that the Visual Studio 2017 was just released uh, just a few weeks ago. It's an awesome release. I love the new installer. We actually talked to Amanda Silver about all the great features in there. Super exciting. Um, so I guess we'll we'll put this question to you um, specifically around .NET Core. You know, what's new in the .NET Core tooling in VS 2017?
2: <clears throat> so VS 2017 is actually the first time we shipped. RTM Core tooling. Okay. Uh, so, just for people's history, we actually shipped .NET Core 1.0 back in June of 2016, um, and then we had a variety of, of tooling preview releases um, uh, in in uh, that timeframe. I think we had one in June, we had another one in November, um, and then we had uh, the RTM of 2017 that happened um, in March. Uh, the big change that happened in that timeframe between June and March. Was we moved away from the Project JSON format uh, back to the CS project format, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that's that's a that was a pretty significant change. Um, and the main thing we we tell customers when they ask why why did you do that is um, when we built Project JSON when we started the .NET Core project, it was really about building web applications, and they were kind of it was kind of its own unique universe.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and then it just kept it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger to the point that ah now we want to share code with uh, .NET Framework. We want to share code with Xamarin. Um, and the reality of trying to make uh, Project JSON be able to communicate back and forth with all the different CS Proj based tooling that was out there uh, just proved too big. And so we took a different approach was take the best of Project JSON and move it back into .csproj. So if you, if you try that tooling, uh, so the, there's a couple of cool things in that tooling that are built into VS. Uh, for the first time ever, you can actually right click on a project and open your CS Proj file live in Visual Studio um before you would have to actually open it as a separate xml file and unload your project and reload your project to make it take take make the changes take pl- place uh but at the same time i would actually challenge before in the old Proj, there really wasn't a reason to open that file anyways it was it was full of too much complicated goop a, a console app has a 158 lines of of csproj
1: <laughs> yeah the only um, thing i ever changed in there was like uh you know path references to, to project files generally yep.
2: I think we've we've all done that before, and, and then you, you might have also, you know, if, if you're if you're you know working on project and source control, you are going to see that file quite often because as you actually add files to your project, you're going to have to merge that change into CSProj because before every single you know file in your app was actually listed in that in that file. So, <clears throat> a couple of the big changes that we made in the in that March release is uh, first off, that file is very very simple now. Uh, you basically reference the uh, you know .NET framework that you're, you're referencing. And you put your package references in. Um, So, so this is new as well. Your package references are there, but I think the big things I would highlight is we added what we call globbing support. And globbing support means that we don't list every single file in your project in that CS (laughs) Proj anymore. We wildcard in, you know, everything star.cs. Right. Um, And so that's pretty cool. It means if you want to add a a file to your project, just drop it in the folder, um, and it shows up in the Solution Explorer. Delete it from the folder; it deletes from the Solution Explorer. It never touches your CSProj file that's not required, um, and so that's a that's a huge thing. And That's a, a big piece that we moved from uh, you know the project JSON world into that. We also took your package references, uh, which used to be in a separate uh, file, and we moved those into the CSProj as well. And so those are there. Um, and that was because people that were using the project JSON really enjoyed being able to hand edit the uh, the packages their application used. Um, and so we moved those directly into the CSProj as well. And so you're going to for the most part, it's going to be your output type, uh, your target framework and your package references. So it's a very simplified format. You can live edit live edit it in Visual Studio um, and you're good to go. And so that was the first wave of of you know getting the core tooling into VS.
1: So I actually don't see the glob in there. So by default, does it just include everything?
2: It globs.cs by default. Yes.
1: Okay. And then if I exclude a file, then it must add an exception to the project. It will, it
2: will add an exception to the project.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. This is like, it's my, so mine on a brand new.net core console application is 12 lines, two of which are actually just blank. Um, and like everything in here is a hundred percent understandable. So <laughs> that's huge. <laughs>
2: um, and and it actually gets even it'll it'll get even better in uh, the two O bits that we're going to ship at build.
0: Okay. So is this uh, support for the new CS Proj and all the project types, or is it just really .NET Core first, and we'll bring the rest around later?
2: It's .NET Core first, and we'll bring the rest around later. And I, I, I'll kind of explain why we did it that way. So um, it's the when we built a new project system, it's a new project system, um, and so we knew that you know, .NET, there, there's there's bound to be bugs in having a brand new project system in your, in your in the product. And we didn't want to go in, and shove this new project system into, you know, your WinForm apps, your WPF apps, uh, your console apps, your class library apps. We didn't want to shove that into everything, knowing that there could be, a you know, bugs there that, uh, you know, most of the folks that have existing projects have been using those projects for years and years and years and years. And I don't want to risk, um, you know, any quality issues there. And so I'd rather actually uh, work any of the bugs out with the .NET Core folks, which are typically new new folks mm-hmm. uh, with new projects, and not you know have any chance of messing up legacy projects that customers have. So that's that's all, that's a typically a very bad experience when you upgrade to a new version of Visual Studio and and uh, uh, you know you find some issues with projects that you you've been running for years and years and years. And so the idea is we'll we'll uh, try it first with the uh, .NET Core folks, and then in the future we'll move that that support across the. Uh, all the existing legacy projects.
1: I think that's a good approach. Now you mentioned in .NET Core 2.0 that there's even more project file changes. So can you tell me about those?
2: It's not really project file changes, it's going to be package package changes. So oh, okay. um, and and let me I, I'll kind of run through some of the things that are the main main things that we're we're changing in 2.0. So .NET Core 2.0 is not a it, it is a major update, um, but I it's also not a not a major change. It's it's just the experience changed enough. That we thought it warranted a a, a new version, and so I'll, I'll kind of run through the, the highlights of what's in uh, .NET Core two O and why we why we gave it a new name. Number one is um, it supports .NET Standard two. Um, that's that's probably the primary thing. Is you know we started the call off talking about .NET Standard and and .NET just just to do a recap for folks that might not know what .NET Standard is. .NET Standard was meant to be that when we looked at the .NET platform, you know, over the years we've we've had very a variety of different .NETs. We've you know. uh We've had .NET Framework, we've had uh, UWP, we've had Silverlight. Um, there's a you know, we had Xamarin. There's a lot of these different .NETs, and all of them have different APIs. And so, as we started working on the .NET Core bits, and uh, we were asking ourselves, people really want to be able to share code they've written across all these all these projects. A big frustration today is you might have some WinForms code, and you want to, you want to go paste that into a, a w, uh, UWP application. And you can't because some of those APIs don't exist. Or you might you might start building an ASP.NET Core application and decide you want to go grab some code from one of your old system web based um, ASP.NET applications and you paste the code in and it doesn't work. Um, and so that that is a, a something we really really care about is being able to share code across all the .NETs. And historically, the way you've done this is with portable class libraries. Um, and the idea behind a portable class library is you you create this class library and then you bring up a dialog box and you tell it. I want to support these frameworks. And if you click more and more frameworks, the API surface shrinks um, each time you click one because it's the intersection of of all those frameworks. Mm -hmm. And so .NET Standard takes the opposite approach, which is um, what we did is we took all the APIs that were consistent across Xamarin projects and .NET Framework projects, and we said that is the surface area of .NET Standard um, and .NET Standard 2. And what we'll do is we're basically going to say that we as the .NET team say that if you want to be a .NET Standard Compliant Framework, um, and right now there's there's uh, three frameworks that I think of off the top of my head, which would be .NET Framework, .NET Core, and uh, Xamarin. If you want to be a .NET Standard Compliant Framework, here is a contract of all the APIs that you must implement. Um, and so in our case, when we, as the, the, the bits we're, we're giving away at Build, um, we, we have support across those three platforms. That means that if you write code using the APIs in .NET Standard 2, it is completely portable across all of those different .NETs, mm-hmm. um, and and uh, we shipped the first version of .NET Standard back with uh, .NET Core 1.0. Uh, um, and you know, in, in that time, one of the challenges we had was we didn't have all the APIs that a customer might want. It was a, it was a, it was a pretty small subset of the the API surface area. In uh, .NET Standard 2, we have brought back twenty thousand APIs. Um, into
1: so just a couple
2: dotnet standard yeah um <laughs> and and even crazier we went and analyzed the NuGet uh library if you go if you go to nuget.org we analyzed all the packages in nuget.org mm-hmm. and and the new numbers are with dotnet standard two over 70 percent of all the packages that, that have ever been written will now work on anything that's that's dotnet standard two compliant and dotnet wow. core two is dotnet standard compliant which means we went from maybe maybe supporting 20% of all the packages to 70% in this release. And so it's a, a mega pile of new APIs uh, that are available to the customer.
0: And, and that's without library off- authors having to change anything, too. So that's pretty cool.
2: Yeah, .dotnet Standard 2 does not require anybody to change any code. So They just uh,
1: recompile, right?
2: You, you just reference. Just reference and compile. Okay. So basically, uh, one of the demos I'm doing at Build is um, I took a library that, that was written in 2004 and I uh, just referenced it into a .NET Core project and it just worked. I also uh, went and found an old WinForm application that I had that used data sets and data tables. And I grabbed that code and I loaded Northwind up into that thing and, and displayed some rows from it. And I, did, I copied that code and pasted it into an ASP.NET Core application and it just ran.
1: That's uh, really cool.
2: And so, you know...
1: So this is when people are really going to start adopting this. Um
2: let's, so, let's, my, your, your first question though was was what changed in the project JSON in the CS project file? Yeah, and I I, I, I want to finish that before you. Sure, go ahead. Um, and so in 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 the uh, in the one zero time frame, we also shipped .NET as a .NET Core as a series of packages. Um, and that that and the idea when we first were working on the project, the idea was. Hey, we don't want to ship net as this big monolithic thing anymore. We want to ship it as a, as a, as a, you know, a bunch of packages and that'll give us more agility because we can update those packages without having to update the entire framework. Um, and, and that, that idea proved not to be valid. Um, the reality is if you change one of those low level packages at the bottom, it likely is going to ripple across the entire world. Um, and it, it made customers projects more complicated as well because it meant they had to reference a whole bunch of packages. So I'm looking at a a ASP.NET Core 1.0 project right here on my my computer. And I've got 22 lines to to, to build a very basic ASP.NET Core application. I've got 22 lines of of, uh, CSproj. And of that, um, six of those lines are referencing, I'll I'll just read some of these. Microsoft.ASP.NET Core. Core Microsoft.ASP.NET Core.NBC. Microsoft.ASP.NET Core.StaticFiles. Microsoft.Extensions.Logging.Debug. First off, if if I if I just want to go build an ASP.NET Core application, I don't want the developer to have to know all those things. Yeah. Um, and so what we did is, is in the 2.0 wave, we also shipped .net core as a single entity. And so I'm now looking at a at a, at a ASP.NET Core 2.0 CS file. It's 11 lines and it references one package. It uh, the package is Microsoft.ASP.NET Core.all.
1: <laughs> well that's pretty cool. <laughs>
2: um and and so the the idea is you know we 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 still want to want to keep working to simplify using dot net. And mm-hmm. so in my in my CS project I'm looking here it references netcore app 2.0 and it references so that's referencing you know the the full framework and then it references asp.net with .all. And so mm-hmm. Anybody should be able to write those two lines of of CS proj without having to go look at some chart or go to a website to figure out you know which type is in which package and you know so so we, there's a there's a continuing wave of of us trying to simplify the using the usage of .NET. I want it to be as simple as using Node or Python or Go or anything else. Like.
1: Yeah. I think, I think there's two different paths, right? And I I've always thought of it this way because when, you know, there's, there's this .NET world and I think MVC was kind of the culmination of this where you'd, <clears throat> you'd go in and say, I want to create a new MVC project and it would just go like, and you'd have, I don't know, like 50 files and yep. you'd have all these references and everything. And then I go into Node.js, and it's, you literally just like copy and paste like a few lines from, from the internet. You just paste it into a text file and then you run it. Um, and, and, you know, those are like two completely different approaches. And it sounds like you, you can sort of pick either one. I mean, if you want to build from the bottom up and, and be very specific and have like this tiny little optimized program, you can do that by referencing only what you need. Or it sounds like you can, you can sort of, you can take some shortcuts as well. And it's easy to migrate things because you can sort of reference all and, uh, and, and get up and running a lot quicker, no matter which direction you come in at.
2: Well, we, we should, because we ship .NET Core 2.0 as a single thing yeah um honestly it's it's really no different if you reference all or you reference a few of the little things and so i got you um i think you're going to reference a few of the little things and i mean you're going to reference the 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 one line and just call it good you don't have to yeah uh so it's it's and honestly it is exactly what you were describing it is wanting to have that exact experience where hey you don't have to know 50 lines of stuff to get going just Mm -hmm. i want to use.net core boom done that that's that really is where we want to you know get the framework to You know, when it does come to size, um, the only time you would care about referencing packages directly is if you're building what we call a standalone application, and that is a self-contained app where you actually ship the framework as part of your application. Mm -hmm. At that point, you might actually want to have an optimized uh, package graph that only contains the packages your app uses, but I'm not going to make you write that. Um, I'm going to let the tooling do that for you. So um, I'll give you, it won't be a build, uh, but sometime post-build. We'll give you a, a, a feature in VS and and command line as well that says, Hey, when I, when I build a standalone application, only put in the packages that I actually use and we'll, we'll do the hard work for you versus versus you having to go try to figure out by hand in a text file. What are the minimum requirements for your, your project? So my goal is to make this stuff easy and you shouldn't have to be trying to do that yourself.
1: No, that's great. I think, I mean, I, I think that was one of the reasons why node became so popular was that, and it, it the, the, the funny thing about it is I think you, you always end up in the same place. You know, your application has a certain level of complexity. There's a certain number of things you need, but it's, it's kind of interesting that build up versus like tear down approach. And, uh, um, it, it makes node look easier when in fact, you know, it's, it's just, it's just that you're going one step at a time. And now with .NET Core, you know, you can kind of take that same approach where it's like, all I want to do is I just want to respond to this request with like this simple string. Yep. And then, and then after a while you're like, well, you know what, I need routing and I need to add you can sort of layer and learn those things as you go along. And I, I think that's, I think that's actually pretty huge. Letting somebody um, sort of add code as they learn, instead of starting with a big ball of code and figuring it out.
2: Yeah, we, we actually, one of the ways, one of the terms we used internally when we were going through this wave of, of work was, uh, we called it removing the magic. Mm-hmm. So it used to be that if you were building one of those MVC applications before, there was a bunch of magic. How did routing get booted up? How did, how did the actual web app even start? Um, you know, if you look at a .NET Core 2 application or an ASP.NET Core 2 application, there is actually a program.cs and there is a main inside of it. And that is the entry point to your app, just like you would expect. In, in one of those, old, of those older MVC applications, there's some magic that happened and suddenly your app was running and you don't know how or why that happened. So, um, yeah, we let you actually either build up from scratch, uh, one component at a time, or you can take a full framework. And and that is a, that was a huge design choice that we made with, with the .NET Core way.
1: Yeah. So it feels like the pendulum started at like configuration and then we went to convention. Are we coming back to configuration then basically, is that how you see it?
2: Um, we are actually
1: <laughs> funny. You mentioned that,
2: um, <laughs> Um in the in the ASP.NET core two wave, uh we are gonna come back to a little bit of configuration. Okay. Um and, and some of that's good. Um what we did, you know, if you if you kind of follow the the frameworks over over time, even back into the MVC uh four and five time frame, we got very cody where you know if you want to go enable uh, OAuth with like uh, Google or um you would very explicitly write C sharp code to do that. Mm-hmm. Um and that was by design. We we wanted it, not to feel like it was magic. We wanted you to write the code because you wrote the code. You 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 could see exactly, oh, this is the secret. Um, you know, this is the endpoint. Uh, it, it was very, very clear. Um, we're going to make a small swing a little bit backwards uh, where you can now have a choice. You can either write the thing in code, uh, line by line by line, or we will have the ability to do some of those things via uh, configuration. Mm-hmm. Um, the benefit of configuration for us, coding code is great. Um because it's very clear and very explicit, um, but it also makes it very difficult for us to tool the product. Um, you know, imagine me being able to say, "I just want to let you right-click um, on your project and add a and add support for Google OAuth or uh, mm. Microsoft OAuth." Um, for me to do that, because it's code, we have to somehow guess or find in your application where yeah. the, where that yeah, code where is. Do we put it in. Yeah. Where do we put it in? Um, if I support configuration, I can just drop a config file and. The system will pick that up. And so in the, in the ASP.NET Core 208, we're going to bring a little bit of that, that configuration over code back. Um, but once again, it's still, you can always do it by code. Um, and also by code, you can say, look at config. And, and if you, if, if, if you, if you put the code in saying, looking, look for config, then you can write the config file. Um, and that'll make our tooling, um, a lot better. Uh, along those lines, I'd love to talk about, there's a, there's a huge topic that, uh, it's probably my favorite thing, uh, that we're showing at build. Mm-hmm. And, and this is around, uh, diagnostics and, and, and cloud. Um, so one of the things when we started the ASP.NET core wave, um, that we we were thinking about was we wanted to make running your app in the cloud. Awesome. Um, and, and let me explain what that what I mean by that to, today, if you want your app to run in the cloud, um, where do your log files go? What do you log in the right places? So, uh,
1: the, well, right now they go into the long, the wrong place by default, right?
2: Yes, they do. <laughs> um, you, in, in fact, you, if you're running like an, an Azure App Service, you have to know to go grab a, a NuGet yeah. package and stick the NuGet package in to, to make that work. That's that's kind of complicated. Um, another one is if you if you want more details on your application, you need some kind of of you know framework that that gives you more insight into your application, and and the one that Microsoft builds internally is App Insights. Um, but App Insights kind of puts a bad taste in my mouth when I use it today because I I go and I, I click the add app insights to my project and it adds a bunch of nuket packages to my web app. It goes and adds code to my um, uh, startup.cs. It adds code to my views. It's like, it's like I feel dirty after I turned it on because it like went and put crud all over the place. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's damned if you do damned if you don't, if I turn it on by default, then customers complain. They're like, why did you put this junk in my project? I just want my clean project. Yeah. Um, if you don't turn it on, then nobody knows it exists. Yeah. when When we ship, when we shipped uh, VS 2017 in March, we actually turned App Insights on by default for all ASP.NET projects, and we turned it on bec- because of a feature that most people aren't even aware of, which is App Insights actually has a local local uh, console that you can actually run when you're developing locally. You don't actually have to publish to Azure or use any Azure at all. And most people aren't even aware that that exists. And it, it's... I,
1: I, I wasn't even aware of it, honestly.
2: <laughs> See? So, so we turned it on, uh, in ASP.NET Core by default in March, um, because we, we thought that feature that was built into VS was awesome. Um, but we immediately got complaints. Hey, what is this app insights line in my, in my program. <coughs> it's probably
1: you... like, oh, Microsoft is spying on me.
2: Yes. Um, so in this two-oh wave, there's another change coming, which is we now allow things like, Visual Studio, which is the environment you're developing in, it can now inject App Insights, uh, when you debug. So you don't have to go and add App Insights. Oh, in- that's cool. To your project. You don't have to go modify any of the files in the project. If you want to debug and open the App Insights window in Visual Studio, well, Visual Studio can just go and load App Insights into your project for you, uh, on the fly. <coughs> that's, that's kind of cool. Now, where, where this gets insane is, is when you start running your ASP.NET Core application in Azure. Um, Because what I really want is is I want to give Azure some of that same capability. So in in this wave, and we we demoed this at Build, I take my ASP.NET Core application, and I just publish it to Azure App Service. I've added no logging DLLs. I've added no App Insights. um, And I I start hearing from my customers that my app's crashing. Hmm, what can I do? So I go to the portal, and um, there'll be a new banner that will show up in the portal saying Enable App Insights. And you click the banner. And when you do that, we will actually enable App Insights dynamically on the fly in the cloud for you. Wow! So the cool, That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So here's the thinking here: when your app starts crashing, do you really want to go? Oh, I need to go find App Insights or New Relic or whatever, and and add that and republish my application. Uh, no. When you find wow. when you hear your app's crashing, you just want to go check it out and find out what's going on. So now you just go to the portal and you can turn it on or off right from the portal. But it gets better. Not only do we enable App Insights uh, via that mechanism, we also activate a, a little part of of Azure that's been there for a while that most people aren't even aware of. Um, we act, we activate something called Service Profiler, and what Service Profiler is is it's a it, it, it actually we it, it it uses some of the App Insights APIs to work. But what it does is it installs a very lightweight profiler into your application when it's running in Azure. And what that that lightweight profiler does is it looks for errors. Common errors in your application. So, for example, let's say you've got a method foo, and method foo crashes a hundred times in, in the day. Mm-hmm. Well, the profiler is going to go, "Man, I'm seeing a high crash rate on foo. Maybe I should actually take a snapshot of that." And so, the profiler will, on the fly, as the app is running, take a, a snapshot and store that snapshot in the cloud. Another example of something it might do is it might go, "Hey, I see you have this this uh, page called uh, main in your application, and this main page." Normally it takes about half a second, uh, but now I'm starting to see that that page take three seconds. So I'm seeing a performance anomaly here. So I'm gonna take a snapshot of that as well. And now when you go to the portal, you'll actually see a dashboard in the portal that will show you the things that the the service profiler is picking up for you. And and this is where it gets really, really cool. So you see that your foo method is crashing a lot. So you click foo in the portal. Mm -hmm. And when you click foo in the portal, it's gonna take you to a screen that will actually show you the exception that foo is hitting it will show you the source code for the method foo. It will show you the call stack, all the variables, everything in the portal, and you, that's, that's kind of cool. So now I get this really, really detailed view of, of why foo is crashing, but maybe that maybe that's that's not enough. So there's also a button in the portal called open in Visual Studio. I click that button. And then we'll basically download the snapshot that we took in the in the portal to your Visual Studio. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, see I can the, <laughs> and, and now I have a, my my cursor at the this line so that the cool. thing crashed at. I've got the breakpoints. I mean, I've, I've got I've got all the all the details live wow. in, in Visual Studio. That, that's pretty amazing. Well, actually, I'm not even telling you the coolest part yet. <laughs> just so that There's more. This, oh, wait. this, 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 this. It's just stop. like the
1: commercial, you need like multiple mics to drop.
2: So, so maybe, maybe I look at this and I'm like, man, I I still can't figure out why this is crashing. Um, what I really want to do is I want to set a breakpoint, but I don't want to put a breakpoint into a running application because if I put a breakpoint into my app running in Azure, it's going to stop when customers are using the website. Yeah. So we introduced a new concept called snap points, and what a snap point is, it's a point where we where where you basically say when you hit this line of code, I want you to take a snapshot and send the snapshot to me. So so what you'll do is in Visual Studio, you'll go, you know, I, I looked at the crash that I'm seeing here, and I really, really want to see the code about 15 or 20 lines ahead, so I can step through and see mm-hmm. how I got to this point. So you go and you you uh, create your snap point, just like you create a breakpoint, and there'll be a new banner in the toolbar, um, of Visual Studio that, that will say deploy snap points. And when you press that button, the Visual Studio will then connect to, to to the app running in the cloud and it will send the information saying, hey, next time you hit this line of code, make a snapshot. And then while I'm sitting there in VS, um, I will see in the status window that the snap, the snapshot just appears. And once it appears, I can double click it. And now I am actually live debugging an app. But I didn't stop the app in the cloud. The app in the cloud did never stop. Just so that you're,
1: you're you're basically you've like c- kind of cloned it in, in, in a sense. I have cloned
2: it exactly. Okay. I've, cloned, I've cloned it. The cost and you're
1: of able it. to go. You're able to then continue stepping through with the yes. clone.
2: I'm oh able to God. step. <laughs> I'm able to step through with the clone. <laughs> and uh, it's just an amazing experience. And and the, the cost of the actual running application when that when that uh, line of code was hit that we actually asked for the snap point. Um, it takes a, it the the cost that the, that one customer is going to feel. Is twenty milliseconds.
1: So that's amazing. So is is anybody is there is there any other example of this? Like, does anybody else do that? No.
2: That this this is this is okay. this, this is actually. This what I seems would,
1: to be like I mean, if if you're trying to make a case for for like using .NET or .NET you know whatever, um, I mean that that puts it so far ahead.
2: Yes. This this is <laughs> this is what I would call a .NET and an Azure differentiator. Yeah. Running your .NET code in Azure. Is just better than running it in Google or running it in AWS yeah. or running anything else because of this experience. And I, and I also I, I left out one final piece of that experience. Yeah. Um, uh, once again, the snap point feature and even the feature I'm going to mention in, in right now, uh, these do require you to your DevOps person has to give you privileges to run this because mm-hmm. if I'm actually putting snap points into a running application, I could sp- potentially see cus- customer information. So it's you have to ask permission mm-hmm. to, to do these things. That's but, a good point. Yeah. But another cool aspect of this is we've had this feature in in, uh, VS for a while called Codelens. And we actually wired this same experience up to Codelens. And so one thing is, as a DevOps person, I'm in the portal and I'm seeing, you know, all that live data of the crashes and the slow slow methods and stuff like that. Um, We can also share that same data with Visual Studio. So if I have Codelens enabled, um, as I'm moving my mouse around the methods in my application, we will actually show you how many times they were called. What the average runtime was for the, how long they took to execute on average and how many times they crashed. So as, so, so, so even as a developer, I'm not in the portal. As I move my, my mouse through Visual Studio, I am seeing the live data that we're actually collecting in the portal, um, back in VS. So either direction you do this. And, and as I said, the coolest thing about all this and, and, and the point that I think is amazing is notice I never had to republish my application. I never had to recompile my application. I'm able to do all of this by default.
1: Yeah. Cause I mean, every, every time I've seen like an issue in production, my goal is always like, okay, I need to reproduce this in, in my environment. And, and there's, it, there's always like, you know, Oh, here's how you install this remote debugger or you do it. The, you know, it's just, it was, it was all, there was always like a, a lot of ugliness in there. And this, it feels like this just bypasses all of that completely and just yep. makes it so that I just, I have, you know, the virus is like, you know, turning people into zombies over here, but I'm also able to sit here in my lab and sort of analyze it. And that, that's completely game changing.
0: Well, I I really like that, the, the idea of getting those live actual stats on how the code actually runs because in code lens before you could see like this line of code took seven milliseconds to run, but that's in my debugger with, you know, you know, testing scenarios, this is with actual production workloads, work production data going through this code and seeing how it is. So if we do need to make an optimization, we can see it visually.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah. I I would love to come back on in the future and do a show where we actually show all this and demo it live on the talk. Mm -hmm. If if we, uh, we do have video on the calls, right?
1: Yep. We do. Most, most of our listeners are audio though. We'd probably Ah, be better off doing, yeah, we'd probably be better off just pointing to something on channel nine. I mean, we're on channel nine, but we, we could do the video, but it would be a little unusual for us. We'd have to, our audio listeners would be like, what's going on.
2: <laughs> this, this is one of the coolest things we've, we've ever done. And, yeah. and, and by the way, I mentioned it in, 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 in light of.net core, this will also work for .NET framework as well. So this will, oh, okay. basically, this will work for, um, some of this is available at build. All of it will be available later than the summer. Um, but it's a, it's a crazy wave.
0: Aspose offers a powerful set of file management APIs with which developers can create applications which can create, open, edit, and save the majority of popular business file formats. Their product range supports a multitude of file formats including Word documents, Excel spreadsheets, PowerPoint presentations, PDF documents, OneNote, Outlook, Project, Visio files, popular image formats, and many others. Aspose produces APIs for .NET, Java, and the Cloud, which can be utilized in almost any modern language available today. Visit www.aspose.com for a free 30-day no-limitations trial. And if you get stuck, message the friendly support team for help. All technical support is offered free of charge. Remember, if you're a lucky winner, you will receive a free developer small business license for espose.words for .NET, a powerful toolkit to work with Word documents in your applications.
2: I got one or two more things if we have time. That I'd love to announce as yeah, well. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have a new the, the .NET website um, has been is called .dotnet. Um, we've mm-hmm. had that for a while. Um, we actually one of the, one of the biggest pieces of feedback I've gotten from customers in, in recent years is um, you know we used to have this team called Pat- Patterns and Practices that built all these really cool books and stuff on how to use our products, mm-hmm. and um, we as a team now are doing that same stuff ourselves. So if you go to dot.net, there's a new link there called architecture across the top of the page. And if you click that, you will see the modern version of uh, patterns and practices for .NET. Uh, We've got a couple of these guides. These are actually eBooks you can download and use. Uh, One of these is microservices and containers. So we basically walk you through how to build a microservice-based container app using .NET, um, and get that running in, in uh, uh, on either, uh, on either Linux or Windows and get that running in the cloud. We have another architecture guide, another ebook on building web applications, how to build modern web applications. Uh, we have one on, uh, building mobile applications as well. And what's even cooler is we've built a, a sample app, uh, called eShop. And, uh, we've built that, that is a full sample that contains everything you would ever imagine. It's got microservices. It's got, uh, a web front end it's got xamarin ios android applications that go with it so it basically shows you how to build the entire ecosystem of back-end microservices web front ends mobile applications all on on.net um, all with best pack pr- uh, best practices uh built in so this is this is an area that you're going to see us continue as a team to invest in uh, mm-hmm. ex- examples of ones that are coming in the future we'll have ones on modernizing your existing applications. So you might have a WinForm or WPF application. How do you modernize that application to take advantage of of microservices and stuff like that? And so this will be a page that I I really want customers to to check out and and look at as uh, we have a bunch of new stuff coming here.
1: Um, I I love it because you have the architect like I'm looking at the uh, run Windows VMs in multiple regions for high availability. So you have the you have the architecture here and the pieces that you're using. And then I like you have recommendations. Um, and you talk about the configuration of the various services. You even have some of the command line uh, stuff that you would run from the Azure CLI. And then uh, I love this too, availability considerations. Cause that's the thing. I mean, there's always like nuances in this. So it's like, you know, th- this is, this is how you'd set this up, but here are the things you need to think about. And then you also have the manageability uh, considerations there as well. So I, I like that. It's like at least pointers to to start thinking about that. Cause that's, you know, that's, that tends to be what I do. It's like, you need to think about these aspects of, of your application.
2: We, we found there was people that actually would choose other technology stacks other than our tech, because they, we, they had those guides these types of guides and we did not. Yeah. There's co- companies that just want a book that tells them how to how to build an archi- architecture yeah. a modern application and and uh, we have great documentation on the low, low low level frameworks but we didn't have anything saying you know from a thousand feet or 5000 feet how to build stuff so that's that's something really exciting another thing that we we uh we uh released at build that I'm really excited about is uh we RTM'd Visual Studio for Mac mm-hmm. and and uh you might you might be going well, as a as a, as a uh, .NET Core person, why would I care? Don't you build Xamarin apps with Visual Studio for Mac? Mm-hmm. And and the reality is we've taken um, all of the .NET Core and ASP.NET Core stuff that we have in Visual Studio and we have put that into Visual Studio for Mac. And so ah. basically the same .NET Core project templates are in VS for Mac. We've, okay. we've, we've taken this a step further. We actually took the exact editors from Visual Studio, the HTML, CSS, and JSON editors. When you're in VS for Mac, you're using the same ones that you use for VS for Windows. We have the same wow. backend debugger. Um, we have the same Azure publish infrastructure. And in the future, we're gonna have the same JavaScript editor and razor editor as well. And so the the, the what I'm trying to do here is I want you to have the exact same experience, whether you're building .NET Core on Windows or Mac. Um, yep. it, it's exactly the same. I I don't care which OS you're on, but I'm gonna have great support for both of those OSs. Um, other cool things, if you've been following our tech for a while, We have uh, VS for Mac RTM comes with Publish to App Service. So you can publish your your .NET Core applications to App Service. It's got the exact same Docker container support that we have in Visual Studio. So you can take an ASP.NET Core application, right-click, turn it into a container. You can run it in containers, debug it in containers. Um, We have the same Publish to App Service containers in, in VS for Mac as we have in VS for Windows. And we have all the same Azure Functions tooling. So basically, any .NET Core thing you can do in VS... You can now do in for VS for Mac as well, and you can round trip. So you could have one developer in, on, on VS for Windows and one developer on VS for Mac, and that's, oh, wow. that's Yeah, That an, says a lot, yeah. Um, so that's that's a that's a that's a big one that I think's uh, pretty cool as well. Um, what else do I have that, that we haven't talked about yet?
1: Uh, <laughs> lots of lots of goodies. <laughs> yeah, the only thing that's that's tough for me now is like picking what, you know, what IDE I want to be in because I like VS code, but if I'm doing .NET Core stuff, you know, now you have a whole bunch of great stuff in Visual Studio and it installs, you know, much quicker than it did in the past. Um, you know, so I actually have it, you know, reinstalled on my machine. It's like, you know, you guys pulled me back into that environment. Um, so now I just have, I have too many good options now.
2: That is my goal, sir, is to, is, <laughs> is to offer developers so many good options that they they don't know what to do. It's like, ah, um, <laughs> But that really is that that is kind of the future. You're gonna see us continue to invest more and more in making sure that uh hey, Windows Mac or command line on Windows or Mac or Linux, uh, we have a great experience. The the only area yeah. that we haven't completely nailed yet, in my opinion, is I I think with uh, the VS for Mac, um the Macintosh gets in into in pretty good state. Um there's still a couple of experiences we don't have on the command line uh that we want to want to make there. Like I was mentioning we have this great Docker support. Uh, mm-hmm. And container support in VS for Mac and VS for Windows um, from command line. I don't yet have it where you can say .NET new web dash dash Docker,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, but that but that is coming. And so the yeah. the, the next the, the, that'll be the final piece is for us to add the right command line tools, uh, so you get the same experience in command line. You can actually get that experience to work. You just have to go hand edit some files today. So I have to go drop the Docker file and some Docker compose files in myself. Once I do that, you know I, I can easily do demos that do it. Um, but I want to ha- make it as simple as net uh, space, new space, web, space, dash, dash Docker. And then you just say, you know, Docker run and you're good to go. So.
1: Okay. What about, uh, this is kind of a weird question, but the, uh, you know, the, the bash prompt in windows, are you guys doing anything interesting with that? I mean, I think everything, everything works in there, right? I don't, I don't know if there's anything special you guys are doing though.
2: We're not doing anything sp- special there, uh, at this point in time,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, but, I wouldn't be surprised to see us do something special there in the future. I mean, the the real question is going to be the bash prompt for Windows today um is primarily primarily designed to be a developer experience. yeah. um, I would love to see it be a a, a, a runtime experience as well. um you know i'm I'm speaking for the the windows team now. I'm not i am saying I'm <laughs> not speaking for the Windows team, but I would love them to say that that can be used for more than just development. Yep. um and i'll I'll kind of explain why I think it's interesting is, uh, you know, even in the the .NET world, I you know some of the demos that we have and some of the things that I, I throw together with the containers, I'm very likely to have a, a, a an .ASP.NET Core application that uses two uh, .NET microservices and maybe a, a Node microservice. Um, I, I I like to say in the, in the world we're in today, it's very likely where I call it a heterogeneous environment. You, you're mm-hmm. going to have a bunch of different runtimes running. If you yep. go find a, a microservice that that minimizes images, and you find that there's a Node one. Just use that. You know, that, you know, go use the building blocks that exist. Don't feel like you have to go write everything in the technology that you you spend most of your time in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think if the Bash shell actually had the ability to run apps in production, um, you know, for .NET Core, you're, you're you're in good shape because .NET Core runs great on Windows. Um, it runs great on Linux. It runs great on Mac. Things like Node, Node actually runs great on on Linux. Doesn't run so as well on Windows, and it's not it's not because they try not to run great on Windows. It's because a lot of the, the packages out there in the NPM gallery, some of them take native dependencies and, yeah. and that those native dependencies are typically Unix based dependencies.
1: Yeah. And so we them go the other way too, but yeah, they're it, usually,
2: I was going to say yeah. it, it, leans, it leans more towards that than, than towards the windows way. Yep. Uh, but if, but if the bash, if the bash shell had the ability to let you run in production, then it would be a better place to run node on production on windows than running node on windows on windows, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So, <laughs> um,
0: yeah, so I was also looking at the .NET Core roadmap. I mean, we discussed what's coming up in 2.0 about getting the all the APIs from .NET Standard, the tooling, the performance, the cloud integrations. Are you talking at all yet or discussing what comes after
2: 2.0? We are,
0: um, of
2: course. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, have, I have three big buckets of, th- of stuff that we're thinking about um, post the June timeframe. Um, and one of the big buckets is what I would call performance and size improvements. So one of the things that is dear to my heart is I want to make the ability to change your source code, refresh your browser as fast as possible. Uh, today um, in VS, we're, we're about six or seven seconds there. I really, really want to get that uh, below two seconds. So that's an area that we're going to focus on for the, I would, I'm, I'm going to call this the November timeframe because we're, mm-hmm. we're going to do about three releases a year typically. Um, I also want to make, you know, I, I, I mentioned we brought all those APIs back. So, so .NET Core gets a, a little bit bigger. Um, I still want I'd love to have the ability for you to build a small, what I call standalone application. So I just want to go build the smallest ASPNET Core application and put it into a, into a container. And so I need to give you the tools to link out the parts of the of .NET Core that you're not using. So we'll give you some linker linker uh capabilities there. And then I think the other one is um I I, I really want to give you the ability to run make native.NET Core apps. And so uh Golang is probably the best language today for building cross-platform native apps because um, you write your app in Go um, and they can basically emit XEs for you that run on, you know, all the three platforms. Um, and so I want to make .NET Core uh, great for that. So that's that's kind of the performance and size stuff. Um, when it comes to uh, platforms is another interesting thing. So, uh, you know, one of the things we've, we've been talking about in the .NET space is the Tizen guys. Samsung's Tizen platform uh, has taken a bet on .NET Core. Um, that's what you actually use to build Tizen apps for their watches and their refrigerators and their televisions. Um, uh, we, we, you know, showed some stuff at build around that. Uh, but you know, that's, that's a platform, but I also care about IOT and arm 32. So I want, I, I can't wait to be able to go and tell people if you want to go build, you know, AS Connect core apps running on raspberry Pis or .NET console apps that run on raspberry Pi that that's something that we, uh, we treat as a first class citizen. As I said, Tizen's doing it today. Um, but, but you know outside of Tizen, it's, it's a experiment at this point. It's not, it's not something we, we call supported. So that's an area we want to focus in. And then finally, the other one is around, uh, tools and libraries. Um, one of the biggest questions that people always ask me is what is our story about cross-platform UI? Um, and so at build, we, we actually, um, in Miguel's talk, uh, we talked about uh, something called XAML standard, which is having some XAML that's actually standardized, uh, across all the platforms.
1: Oh, uh, cool. yeah.
2: Uh-huh. Um, and so, what, what, what XAML standard means technically is if you build a Xamarin Forms application, uh, you, could, you could then take that Xamarin Forms application and use that and, and make that into a UWP application. Because UWP is basically XAML standard is the, the base XAML markup that's consistent across both UWP and Xamarin Forms. And okay. so, you could take a Xamarin Forms app and just turn it into a UWP application and then add Windows capabilities to it if you wanted to. Um, outside of that the, the goal is to have XAML standard um, be able to run on other platforms So you could build a Xamarin.Forms forms application that runs on Windows Mac and Linux. Um, so cross-platform cool. UI is, is is very important to us. Uh, another one is you know if you if you've used node, it's very common in the node world to actually install via the, uh, the node package manager um, tools that we would call global tools. So if you've used gulp or Grunt or bower, Uh, What you do is in in Node, you say you know npm install dash g. G. Um, We're going to give you a a dash g for .NET as well. So um, if you want to go build a a command line tool in in uh, .NET, you'll be able to basically you know .NET install dash g um, name of name of package uh, and get global tools. So that's that's a couple of the things that we're we're focusing on.
1: Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. You could have just stopped at the, at the, at the feature where we're (laughs) debugging feature. And that would have been, uh, that would have been enough, but man, lots of, lots of great stuff coming down.
2: As I always like to say, it's a great time to be a .NET developer.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just kind of thinking like you, when when you guys really started, like I'm going to, I'm going to be kind of grotesque on it, but you guys started like ripping apart .NET and then you, you know, you had to sort of reintegrate all these pieces. Like that had to be, so stressful especially at the beginning and now you have to now that you're kind of like i think you're over the hump and you have to be at this point now where you're just like okay thank goodness this paid off and like everything's starting to make sense the stars are aligning and and now you're able to add all this goodness i mean everything's really coming together i think i think people now um you know especially right after build here are gonna they're really gonna see the vision and they're gonna say man this is this is where i want to be
2: yeah we we as a team we're starting to have fun is what i like to say
1: yeah <laughs> yeah let's let's dress more fun
2: i gotta run guys okay
1: hey, That's thanks a lot good. yeah thank you for coming on thank you guys very much